Today's show is brought to you by A&E's hit series, Bates Motel. Catch the new season when it returns Monday, March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern on A&E. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We uh, this is a very special episode <laughs> of the moment because our, our guest today is the great genius Malin Ackerman. Genius! Wow. Well, what you're one of my. I mean, you're, you're on my show. What am I going to say? The slouch, <laughs> no, Malin Ackerman. You better not. <laughs> and and co-hosting today is my um, billion show-running partner and lifelong best friend, David Levine. Dave, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Well, Malin, because Malin's out of town now, and we missed her terribly, so. I couldn't have all the fun of getting to see you. So <laughs> I, I was like, it. all right, come. I am sh- crashing this party. I love that you're crashing this party. We just need some cocktails now and we'll be good to go. How the fuck did we not bring cocktails? <laughs> you I knew was, I was coming. Levine, how are you not carrying something? How are you not <laughs> yeah. holding? Yeah, how are you not David? holding? Just airplane bottles or something? <laughs> yeah, you should be holding. <laughs> oh but, uh, Malin, you just said before the mics went on, you're like, people it's are coming up to you and they're like, insane. you scare me. It's insane. Yeah, people are seriously scared of me. And, I mean, they think that Lara Axelrod is a force to be reckoned with, which she is. And she will she will take you down. And so people literally are like, they'll walk by on the street here in New York, just stopping me going, I love billions. Holy shit, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not really crazy. It's my character. Well, this must be like um, this particular kind of reaction to your work because you've like been in crazy. funny, you know, most of the stuff you've done yeah. has been funny and warm yeah. and you're like the nice one. Who... People always think they're my best friend and now they are scared of me. It's fantastic. Is it fun? Does yes, it make you feel like you did something fun. here? <laughs> that happens a lot. As an actor, they relate you to your character. Well, of course. And so I feel like I'm going to be left alone much more now, which is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, like on an airplane. Yeah, yeah. like no, everywhere. But I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter from young women who want to be you. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to start a movie. And a lot of young dudes are like, I need a woman like that. Really? Yeah. Well, here I am, guys. <laughs> yeah. They want a they want a strong woman to get uh, their back. I mean, wow, a popular thing I see amazing. on Twitter is um, Lara Axelrod is, and then the um, emoticon for fire, and they'll put Ooh, fire like guys, four times in I a row. And Lara that. Axelrod is fire, 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 fire. <laughs> so, oh, this is great. Did you anticipate like so? Because of the way Hollywood sometimes works, people probably think, oh, you cast everything ahead of time, but sometimes it happens quickly and. You had to do the scene in the pilot where you have this page-long monologue and you have to, like, rip somebody to shreds. And all the rest of us had been in this rehearsing and working for a long time. Did you feel – like, what did it feel like for you? Like, you came in and you were funny and made everyone feel good and you seemed like you were so confident – but how do you handle that kind of pressure and what was really going through your head? That's what I do is I come in and I joke around to make myself feel comfortable because I was freaking out. You know, it's my first time actually doing something like this and you guys having faith in me to be able to. I mean, it was the audition piece. So at least I was familiar with it and I had worked on it a little bit with Neil Berger, the art yes. director, a fabulous director. So it felt like it was familiar. So at least it wasn't this new piece of work that was... Oh, that you had never said before. Yeah, exactly. So at least it was something, there was some familiarity with it. But at the same time, you know, I'm a bit of a dork. And so I I write all my notes on my my pages. And um, Melissa, who was playing June, she goes, really, come on, when she saw my notes. (laughs) And I went... 
oh shit, that's so embarrassing. Maybe I shouldn't write notes on my paper. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> no, I didn't like that's that. That's a very I canny love, actress movie. I, she was trying to undo you, perhaps. Oh, maybe. <laughs> perhaps maybe trying she to win was like, in character. The great, listen, Melissa Erica was one of the great Broadway divas. She's amazing. She might have been trying to win, win the, scene. the scene. Maybe, but it didn't. You know, any kind of fire for me. For me, it's just like egging me on and so I just went all right all right no I don't need it I got it I got it so I just kind of put the papers away and I said let's go let's do it so I think anytime there's any sort of um challenge then I'm up for it I mean I'm scared shitless always with the challenge but that's where the adrenaline kicks in and that's where I get most of my creative juices is when I'm scared Dave could you did you sense that Malin was like going through any of that at nervous? all nervous <laughs> No, <laughs> nervous is not something that I would associate with. In fact, I'm not sure I'm believing this admission even <laughs> because you do a great job uh, at hiding it. But I would say that the the payoff line to that scene was not in the script. No. And after we spent a little bit of time with you, we came up with it on the set, I remember. Yeah, And we you did. delivered the hell out of it. And that sort of unlocked the character in a way. Yeah, that was, it was just, that it was that last line that was a bump in the road and it just wasn't feeling right. And then... We're like, well, and I remember Neil going, what do you really want to say? I want to say, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm totally, I'm fucking threatening you. And he's like, try it. So, and that's where we all went off and it was great and it worked and became... Yeah, you're fucking right. I am came yeah, from, right. came out of that conversation. Our I little think conversation that we had, yeah. Uh, it, it showing up. But you have this ability and this is what happens, right? You, you write this character and then the actor comes and ideally some kind of merging of something, ascent, something sort of... Uh, essential in their nature, and this character you've created comes together. Right. I mean, we had spent three hours with you or something, and yet you have this incredible ability to make people feel like they've known you a long time. You create a bond, and I've noticed it around the set, where everyone's like, oh, Mom's like my best friend. <laughs> oh, great. Like, was that like a survival technique when you were young? Because like, okay, people might think looking at you and the fact that you were 17 and got picked out as uh, you know Canada's top model or whatever – that it was all easy, but how did you have to learn how to survive, and how did you come up with these ways to cope? You know, I think you're dead on. I think there's a lot of survival mechanism to the way that I live my life, and it's something that I'm working out right now because it's, you know, it's this weird pattern where I had to grow up pretty fast. I mean, you know, I got kicked out at 16, and then I had a bit of a tumultuous relationship with my mom, and uh, we're good now, but poor thing, you know, she's had a rough one. She's she's manic depressive, and it's been up and down for her, and so it was always sort of um, maneuvering her and maneuvering the world that she lived in and what that was like, and then knowing that I didn't want that life for myself, and not in a mean way, but just I wanted to, I, I had a drive to get out of town metaphorically and just go and do my thing. And my whole life, it's been watching people and how they communicate, because I knew that the way my mom handled life was very different than most people. So I had to relearn sort of communication skills and survival skills, kind of becoming a chameleon and just maneuvering in new situations. And you were living where then? You were in Toronto? In or? Toronto. And, you know, we have, I mean, growing up, gosh, I, I we moved so many, it was like changing underwear. We moved so many times. I mean, there were times where my mom and I were sleeping on friends' pullout couches. And like, you know, there was a lot of stuff. And my survival mechanism was just trying to find the silver lining and the happiness and all of it. And so it's almost like the mask was on and I just wanted to be happy. And, you so know, you would act, you mean you would, yeah, it wasn't even act. I mean, right. I was a happy kid, but I was, but I was somewhat tormented and tortured inside. It's such a weird combination, but it's what drove me. It's what, um, it, it was realizing at 18, you know, I did this 
I, I mean, I had to fight to stay in school because my mom always wanted me to, like, she hated homework. She didn't believe in it. And she's like, let's go out. You're so boring. Let's go out drinking. Let's go out, you know. When you're, like, 15 years old. Yeah, 15, 16 years old. And so, you know, I, she would write, she's like, I'll write you a note. Don't worry about it. You don't have to go to school. You know, I had no idea how, what I was supposed to do to get into college. Like, everything was, like, a self-taught, everything was self-taught, basically. And and in that, I needed to to... I needed people. I needed information. I needed friends. I needed support. And so it was sort of just observing people's behaviors and how do you communicate with people and, you know, how do I entice people into my life? And that seems so manipulative, but it was more just... No, it doesn't. I mean, to me, it, it doesn't feel manipulative at all because you're a ch- now as a grown-up, if you were constantly doing but as a kid, what I'm hearing when you say you're studying other people is like you're looking at your mother who couldn't control her emotions. Right. And you would see the wreckage. Right. Right. And so you would then be like, well, okay, I, fi- I don't want those results. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so did you it's find like, like relearning? Well, you know, it's funny. I went, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a crazy person. I went at 18, I found this thing called Landmark Forum, which I've sure. heard about. Sure. We know what it is. Yeah. And so I went just for the one, I only did the one, like there's so many tiers to it. It's like this whole period. But I went for the one weekend, and that was sort of my wake up call where I, went, where I realized that I was in a bad relationship. I was just really lost. I really didn't have any direction in life as far as who I was as a person. And I, I was extremely shy, by the way, from 16 to like 18, 19. I barely said a word. Did you know you were funny? No. Oh, God, no. God, no. I still don't think I'm funny. <laughs> but I know I'm fun. I know I like to have a good time. But not like, but, but you know, I, I definitely was, I always resorted to being dorky and goofy because I was so awkward in my own skin, you know, and then I found this landmark forum and realized that my life was a big piece of canvas and I could paint it however I wanted to. It was like the big real realization that that was the real truth. And so I immediately went home and dumped my boyfriend and started my life over again in a way. And that's when the real decision came in to take charge of my life. And I knew at that point that I would be able to, that it was going to be an uphill battle, but that I was capable and that, you know, I now had some tools to work with that I never had before. So thanks to that, that was like the kickstart to my life. On Monday, March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Bates Motel reopens on a for its fourth season. A modern-day prequel to Alfred Hitchcock's iconic film Psycho, Bates Motel stars Freddie Highmore as Norman Bates, and Vera Farmiga in the Emmy-nominated role of Norma. This season finds Norma and Norman suspicious of one another, and their trust issues will be worse than ever as their mother-son relationship continues to crumble. Watch Norman evolve into the infamous Norman Bates as this season finds him completely losing his grip on reality. Bates Motel knows how to deliver the crazy, and season four promises to get crazier than ever. Be sure to tune in to Bates Motel, Monday, March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern on A&E. When did the acting piece come along, though? Did you realize then that you wanted to become an actor? Like, how did that idea spark in you? I think that was always, it was always a part of my life because my mom, she had many different jobs, but one of them was a model. So I'd go on jobs with her sometimes, and um, that led to doing some TV commercials. You know, her agent was like, why don't you just throw in some TV? So I ended up doing a bunch of TV commercials, some modeling, catalog modeling and stuff like that. So it was, it was always part of my life a couple times a year. Um, so the acting was almost like an extension of doing 
it modeling was, at the beginning. Yeah, just exactly. Just some kind of a performance or and playing money, somebody who you wasn't know? you, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just, uh, I guess it was a relief to get out of my own body sometimes and just kind of embody somebody else. But ultimately, it was really just a, a way to make some cash on the side. Again, I was out on my own, and and I started university because I thought I was going to become a child psychologist. That was my number one go-to. Uh, right, because Makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't heal myself. I'm going to heal other people. Um, so that's where I started was started university and realized I was just – there was too much on, on my emotional plate that I just couldn't focus. I just went, you know what? I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to focus on act. I was bartending. I was like, I'm just going to have a good time for a minute. I'm just going to – have some fun and figure out what I really want to do. Well, you didn't have a childhood, so right. So you were going to give <laughs> so yourself had, that time. So I had a bit of a childhood at that point, um, and it was great. And that's sort of when it started picking up the acting. And I went, God, this is almost like psychology, except more selfish. But it was cathartic and exciting, and did, did small little parts on Canadian television shows, CBC. Which, by the way, when I came over to Hollywood. And had my reel of like a few little things. All managers and agents are like, okay, yeah, Canada doesn't count. Do you have anything from the States? And I was like, oh, this is going to be a struggle. Yeah, so that, I mean, it's what made me want to, it made me more interesting, interested in acting. It's interesting. You still show up and walk into a room. When, when it's a day that you're going to be on set, you still walk in and sort of make sure everyone else is okay before you take care of yourself. <laughs> I'm I don't working know if it... on that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that. It's one of the things that all my closest friends, um, we talk about a lot. And I, yes, I mean, even to the point where I'm with my nanny, who is one of my best girlfriends, who's, it's an amazing situation, but I'm like... Really, I your hope son. She's okay. We should clarify is that it's your okay? son's nanny, though. I know. You, don't, <laughs> you didn't hire a nanny as a Hollywood actress now. <laughs> no, not for, for your, me. For your no. own inner child. Although I could use one, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there. I I definitely have. It's been a big thing to focus on breaking a pattern of putting people's first, which is it's not a bad thing. But I also lose myself a lot, and so this has been this past year has been a lot of me working on. Self-love, figuring out what I need and what I want and not being ashamed of asking for help. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a shift with feelings. You know, they've all been misplaced a little bit with the upbringing that I've had. So putting them back in the right places, which is a, a crazy journey. Uh, watching you be able to sort of in the middle of a scene or as you're sending something, like figure out what it is you need to do the thing, it's great. And it looks like real – I mean, you could see as the season was going – you being like, okay, this is a, there's a, chan- a chance to really do something here. Like, yeah. I'm going to find a way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's where this – and the thing is, uh, to be honest with you, you know, I have felt completely inferior to everyone on the set because everyone has a degree in something. And I've got – It's a I've really intellectual – you're right, yeah. though. It's, Every it's single person. highly intellectual set, which is, by the way – so inspiring and is driving me even more to do better. And I've just bought a compilation of all of Shakespeare's <laughs> Shakespeare's <laughs> plays. I mean, everything. I'm like, I am focused this year on just studying and honing in my craft. In, in, and I think that's a good thing because these actors and you guys and everyone that I'm working with, you're so highly intelligent and so inspiring. And it's something that I never got a chance to do was, or, or never allowed myself to do was to finish school and, and, do my studies. So I did. You I, do any training in? No, in I haven't done career? any training. So I feel like I'm just like. I mean, I've had a coach who's coached me for, right. you know, 
for stuff. Well, you, but, I mean, you've managed to find the character in such an innate way that it's incredible. Well, and you stand in there with these other actors, and, like, they even comment about the power that you're bringing to it. Oh, that's great. That's, well, that, you know, it's that, it's that thing of, like, that fear of, like, when are they going to discover that I'm, like, just pulling the wool over everyone's eyes? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But, it, you know, I think that— Everyone feels like that sometimes, you know. Yeah. All the people, I no matter it. how much training they <laughs> I have. I, and I realize that. I mean, we're but all I mean, so, harsh as By the way, when we hand a script over for the first time, each, I mean, you know, at the table <laughs> the reading. judgment, yeah. But I got to—you know, these things do work best when there's some kind of a connection to what's really going on. And, you know, does Lara Axelrod feel that way? Coming from where she comes yeah. from, living in this world, absolutely. You know, it, it, somehow it's connected. I think it's the it's the street smart versus the book smart. You know, and she comes in with her Lara comes in with her street smarts, and she knows how to maneuver, and she knows how to survive, and she's very driven, and she also knows what she values most, and she'll protect it to the umpteenth degree. But and that's where our similarities lie, and that's why I feel like absolutely, I I am. I feel confident with embodying this character. So it's not it, – I don't have to fall back on my my studies because I don't have any, you know, anything to fall back on. But And, and so that does leave me out, you know, I having the confidence and feeling like I know my character quite well and then having that sort of – the insecurity of not having the base of the training. It That combination is like a weird – it's sort of like my life. It's like my life story. and Right, these gaps. And then, of course, it's because you've had a life of uh, having to cover for those gaps that weren't generated by you. Right. So what do you do? Because people – I understand what Landmark Forum is and how that worked. But now, all these years later, do you have some sort of a way – uh, that you talk to yourself to, that that allows you to put your shoulders back and walk in with confidence, even if you're <clears throat> not feeling that confident. Like yeah, it's it, it's always I, I sound like I have a personality disorder, but I always feel like two people always walking side by side. It, they're never combined, but they're both I I'm they're both in me, and I think that I I have such an extreme drive and. My comfort zone is being in situations that are uncomfortable, that challenge me. And so when I get to do that, that's when I'm at my highest performance. That's where I peak. And I know that about myself. But being in those situations, I am scared shitless. I, you know, so it's that whole thing of like, I have a voice telling me, you don't know what the fuck, what are you doing? Get out of here. And the other voice going, fuck you, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to prove it to myself. And I'm going to prove it to everyone else that I can fucking do this. Wow. And that is... Who I am and how right. I walk in. Well, life. the beginning of your career, you found the initial success in such a big way in comedy, and in a way, yeah. that's comedy. It's living on the edge, you know, <laughs> yes, and trying yeah. to figure out, you know, is this going to fall flat or is this going to be funny? Yeah, but I guess there's no other way to. I mean, especially in this line of work, you don't know if it's going to fall. You have no. Nobody actually has an idea what the outcome is going to be. Nobody has a clue. So ultimately, you know, going in knowing that that everyone is kind of like. I mean. You know, I know Paul Giamatti from before we did a film together, we did Rock of Ages, mm -hmm. and we were buddies. And he asked me one day to come over and read a script with him. And I was like, oh, my God, Paul Giamatti wants me to read a script with him. Get it together. You can do this. <laughs> and so I went in and we read the script. And, and you know, he, of all people, he had his doubts about his performance. And I was like, you know, reading with him was like watching, even in our table reads, it's like watching, you could film that. And it's, yeah, his it's first, a Yeah, his a first time through is a completely formed performance. It's, it's very odd to watch. It's incredible. Yeah. But the beauty in that, in having that 
relationship with him and and him sort of vocalizing that he also was has his doubts. Sure. When you see someone performing perfection and them doubting their performance, I, that's when I kind of went, okay, everyone has, everyone's got so this. You, so okay. you keep clocking this. You keep looking at people and studying and yeah. trying to take little pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. Not just to play the characters, <laughs> but actually <laughs> to piece your life together. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great, I mean, um, that's a, such a useful thing to, to do, I think, to sort of like try to spot, oh, okay, I'm I'm not actually that broken or I'm not right. that fucked up or I can take that piece and use it. Right. I'm, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing you as a, a kid and it makes me sad that you had to, but there are so many other ways it could have gone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the one thing that I have to say, because I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, is that she was one of the most loving people as well as my... And, you know, we've had a lot of talks about it now in our adult lives, and we have a really good relationship now. But it was the understanding, maybe later on in life, how hard she had had it and how she had to grow up really fast, too. It was like this vicious cycle. And she did the best that she could, and I know that. And I always felt loved, but I knew that it was just messed up. And I had my dad, who's like the most positive beam of light, but he just wasn't present physically. He was in Sweden. He was on another continent. Yeah, he was in Sweden since I was six years old. So, you know, as much as I loved him and, and as much as our relationship was really great, it was like a vacation relationship. You know, it was, oh, I get to see dad in Sweden for a couple months over the summer, and we're going to have fun and do fun things. So he got to be the fun dad. You know, so it was just, yeah, you know, everything, my view on everything was really skewed. But, you know, thankfully, because of all of that, I am who I am, and I get to be and do what I love the most now. Right. You, you were know? able, I guess, to become an you, you're. You were it able to become me an into artist. A t- a tormented. Yeah, well, crazy I mean, I, I'm thinking that you know, you talk about the way that performers have to risk in order to play their characters, but the risks that you were facing growing up were really so much more serious that, in a way, you faced fears that are deeper. So maybe that enables so this you is to <laughs> maybe maybe it enables you to do it in yeah. a way yeah, that where pe- other people are more bound up. I think so. I think there's just that. Um, doing comedy for instance people are like aren't you how do you have no fear like going just fearlessness and going in and and I kept thinking about that question I went you know I think I've been in so many embarrassing situations in my life and so so many crazy I mean crazy situations where you wouldn't even believe it if you wrote it in a film that doing a film and doing these little things is like well this is just fun and this is just you know silly crazy fun times and I've been more embarrassed in my own life by people close to me than <laughs> any that so this is nothing you know so what made you want to I mean when when, when this came up I remember um, we got a call from a casting person who said um, Malin Ackerman is might be interested in playing this part and, I, and we looked at each other like well she's awesome but she's hilarious and like we weren't really sure how it made sense mm-hmm and I remember then they were like, well, get on a – go meet her. We Skyped, I think, mm-hmm, the first yeah. time. And it was clear, like, you were certain that you wanted to do this and make this change and that you could. Yeah. So I accept uh, that part of that was fronting, as you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I wasn't certain that I could, but I was going to make sure that you guys <laughs> who were what, hearing What me. drove you, though, yeah, to decide, you know what, I want to move away from comedy and do Be- Because for comedy, just the way Hollywood works, like um, all of us are so lucky that we make a great living doing what we love. But if you would do a half-hour comedy, you know, you're established as a big star in that world and right. you get paid to like a huge st- – all that stuff. And you were willing to go like, well, wait, I want to do 12 episodes. And I, what, what's that thought process like? It wasn't true to me anymore. 
And it's not that I don't want to go back and I love comedy, but I had a child almost three years ago, went through divorce and had an opportunity to rediscover myself as a woman. And as I started doing that, it was peeling off the layers. And first of all, having a child is incredible and it just opens up so many different emotions and you tap into different places in your in your body. Sure. And I just felt like it was it was just that, like a door opened up and it was like, whew, it just fell a little deeper. And so the comedy felt like that time in my life, the beginnings, that was my mask that I was bringing out. And so now the search was on because in my, I, it's so funny how sometimes life parallels, I mean, it's just everything is interconnected. And so I felt like because I was in a new place in my life, it was almost like I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't wear that mask anymore. And I wanted to portray who, the person that was coming up. Not that I'm a stone-cold ice queen, but it was more just like coming into womanhood. And what that meant was the craving material that was more real and true and, and really connected with me as a human being. And I did know somewhere, even though there was still the doubt, in me, but there was somewhere inside where I just knew I could do it and that, that I really wanted to do it and that I really had something to bring to it. And, you know, it's trying it out. It's trial and error, but I, I just needed to try it. And these are the, I mean, Billions is the type of show that I would, that I like to watch. So it was also that thing of, I want to do a show that I would watch, that I would, that I'm proud of to promote, that I really can drop into and be surrounded by incredibly talented people and be inspired in a new way again. But yeah. the, the amazingly brave thing about what you did and when you did it is practically it came along, those feelings came along at a moment where you, where it was your responsibility really alone to support you and your son. Right. So then you were changing the brand in a way yeah. and looking at potentially less money, but you, you were willing to do it anyway. Yeah, but yeah, but there's a, there's a place, you know, where... If you're doing this, I guess it has so much to do with if being on this journey of truth maybe for myself and rediscovering its its integrity and its respect. And if I'm going to do that in my life and I'm going to be that for myself, I have to do that. I have to branch out and do that in my work in order to live with myself. And it's not that it, you know... I did a show on ABC while I was going through my divorce and just had a kid, and and I loved it, and it was great. And had that continued, I probably would have been fine with it, but everything happens for a reason. And, and when that went away, it was just like, all right, I you know, I have to listen to myself. And, and it's not like I'm living on food stamps. You no, know, it's like but I said, I'd you're, rather, no, no, you're but I'd rather starring take the cut. a major yeah. TV series. I'd rather take the cut. You know, but you're the, willing to risk not even getting the roles, potentially. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is pretty amazing. Absolutely. And I don't know if you know this, but um, during the time when we were talking to you and before, you know, we decided that we wanted you to play the part, we um, we spoke to Oren Moverman, who's yeah. a great director. He directed The Messenger, and he produced a movie that you were in, a he drama. Did. yeah. And he said she can do it. Oh, Oren. And that was cool, yeah. <laughs> That's really, yeah, he, we did a little film that actually just got into Tribeca Film Festival. It's What's it called? It's called The Ticket. Oh, people Dan should Stevens. make sure to see yeah, that. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And and again, it was one of those, you know, um, I think it's easier with little independent films because people can take more of a chance. Sure. And and I think the director of that was curious because it is it is also, by the way, I think a nice touch 
for anyone who's willing to take the chance to take someone out of their genre and put them in a different genre because it's exciting for audiences to go, wait a second, but she's she's sure. comedy. And then it's that extra, it's that heightened sort of element of surprise where, you know, for anyone involved. So, so I was really appreciative that that director took a chance on me to do something that was really just an art piece. So I think one thing that's really interesting, and, and when people think about show business when younger people, they're always, I think there's this perception that they're, that other people steer the career, that they mm-hmm. have these ideas and they give them to you, whether it's a manager or an agent or some right. really all-seeing person, the, t- the much-vaunted team. <laughs> but <laughs> The team, yep. So no. it's good to have a team to blame for stuff, though. It's really great. When it goes As wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure, but how did those people all respond when, whenever it was that you said, you know, I want to I act in dramas and I'm going to go chase them and... Was there pushback? Did you even tell them? Like, how does that all work? Um, they were completely on board. Um, I think, you know, my team <laughs> happens to be some of my best friends. They came to my wedding. I mean, I've been with them for over a decade. And them being, it's a triad. It's its my manager, my agent, and my publicist. I know that they've got my back. I really trust their opinions. They all have integrity. They all are in it for the right reasons. I've always felt that, and that's why I'll never leave them. So how did you find, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, it's the, it's one of those things where you, it's a law of attraction, and, and my manager was first, and I didn't have, I had my Canadian TV series, yeah. you know, that he was like, well, this isn't going to get you anywhere, but I'm going to kind of like send you out without my my partners knowing. And then I got to come back, and, and one of the, head partners was like, oh, my God, we should find out who that is and we should rep that girl. And he's like, well, we kind of actually are. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> um, awesome. You know, he was the one who sent me on that audition. But so we've always had a really clear – we've had clear conversations and it's never been about the money. And I think that they know me well enough that um, there are certain times where I'm like, guys – I need the cat. Like, we got to figure some shit out because... And then there, there's there been lulls where we're like, fuck, what's going on? And then that has always been moments to kind of look back into my life and go, okay, what's happening with me? Why? You know, so it's always a reflect. I was trying to Oh, you to mean, why it. am I not allowing... Like, that's... Yeah. yeah. Why am I not allowing the good thing to happen? Yeah. Why am I not going in and killing it? Yeah, because I can't blame that, you So know? you don't... You're good at not blaming, joking aside. You're good at saying, like, okay... This career is my responsibility. To- it's totally my responsibility. I mean, listen, there's different factors that come in, of course, and there are, there are moments where you don't even get a chance to go into a room because it's, you know, they just offer things to be, like, I would have loved to have gone in an audition for Gone Girl, you know, or something like that. But I, there wasn't even an opportunity for that because people just get offers. And so I get that part of the business. There's a lot of frustration in the business for sure. But it's also, again, then it creates another challenge and, and it makes me, gives me more drive to push even harder. And so no, they, you know, to long story short, they 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 definitely were on board with this shift and understood why I needed it and also had seen a shift in me knowing me for so long um and felt the same that it was a good time. It's interesting, Dave, isn't it? Hear, hearing hearing you talk, Malin, because um you talk about like your drive and will and decisions, but I never I I never hear you like talk about the fact that you're talented. Oh, well, that's for other no, people themselves. I, no, I mean like do you think that there's like uh no, but obviously you've worked at this. Did you know at a certain point, like as you started to do those commercials, I guess for you it didn't come from recognizing first like an artistic need. It came from, oh, I can go do this thing. Right. But how did that artistic need start to awaken in you or how did you start to realize, oh, I'm I'm, I'm go- good at – I have a – because, yes, I was thinking, you know, it's it's sad to me even thinking that 
that just because a bunch, all of us have read a bunch of books because we um, didn't have moms taking us out to party at 14. <laughs> so like that you would feel that somehow, like really that's just because we were unpopular. Yeah. I, yeah, on the other hand, Mollen does have the masters this. in partying. Right. That's, <laughs> she's much better than everybody <laughs> else saying. at that. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, if anyone sees you out, they'll understand that that's really it's a true. Joyous, joyous life. Yeah. Um, sorry. So no, the I was just saying is, that to the matter, do you recognize, though, the fact that, okay, let's say all these people studied and like they've all, we've all, everyone's read everything and can quote everything. Others said, but that you can come in, there's a scene later in the season, and I'm not going to spoil it, where you know, there's not a more accomplished or smarter person than Maggie Siff. And there's a scene where the two totally. of you are really in it with one another. Yeah. And you, you're you there toe-to-toe with her. And I'm kind of wondering, it did seem like you'd done a little extra preparation for that scene <laughs> or thinking about it. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I did ex- – I just really was in love with that scene. And when I fall in love with the scene, when it, like, hits me somewhere inside, that it was one of those scenes where it just went, oh. God, this is a moment that I've been waiting for. And again, you know, I don't know. I I love Maggie as a human being, as a person. I respect her. I think she's incredible. So I was actually more excited about that scene than anything. And I just, I guess it was, it wasn't as um, intimidating because I got to be the intimidator in the scene. You're bringing the action. So how did yeah. you prepare? Like, how do you... In terms of, because if you're not someone who's trained, like, what yeah. is your method of preparation? So I have, so I do have a coach that I I had worked with for a bit. Funnily enough, I didn't I didn't call her for any any of this, which is interesting. But I but I but she's taught me a method that I've sort of taken on, uh, and and it's a lot of it has been about personalizing things, because you know if you're going in and you're going to play a lawyer, and I have no idea what a lawyer does on a day to day basis, and you know um, the jargon that they use, and so a lot of it before I even learn the lines, I <laughs> if I'm acting with Damien, for instance, I might supplement him for somebody in my life that has affected me in such a way that this scene requires. For instance, so I'll imagine them ahead of time. You're saying you're ahead of time. Ahead this of time? is at home bef- right. before. This is my preparation process, yeah. and so I go. Oh, this is interesting. This is sort of like that moment where my mom was, you know, and oh, in that moment, and so, and then I'll also supplement all the words into my own words for, firsthand into a certain situation, and and rewrite. So everything's rewritten, and it's so all the emotions come out. And then once I got the emotions down, then I'll go and learn the lines with those emotions that's attached amazing. to it. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's like – And you you carve out the time. When do you do this? The day before? The night yeah, before? The week the before? Night before? It depends. It depends on – It's your version of a disco nap, Dave, right before <laughs> she <laughs> – Right before the scene. Yeah. No, it's it usually is the night before um, because then it's freshest. And, you know, there haven't really been massive – monologues or, you know, for for Lara, there have been the few moments that, like the Maggie Siff and some with Damien, where it has been a few days before we'll sit down and I'll kind of do the personal work. And then the night before, I usually learn the lines, but I'll let it sit. I like letting the personal work sit for a minute so that I can really feel an attachment to but, it. Yeah, so and sometimes it's wrong, and like, so, you know, and sometimes I have to shift it on the day, but, you Well, know. I mean, you carve out the time. You do this, you somehow let these, you translate this stuff, whatever it is, into emotions that are personal to you. You right. let them settle in. I mean, you've always come in with the dialogue cold, which is, 
become easy for us to take for granted on this show. We're so lucky because, <laughs> great. Yeah, you know, we don't have a thing where people come in and don't know the, the stuff. Right. Everybody comes in and they have it off That's book, so but you're great. right there with them. And, and then, Sometimes I get turned around in my head, but yeah. <laughs> yeah Sometimes I, the words start to, you know, I just start to get, I start, I, I can do a rehearsal and it'll be dead on. And then as we go along, it, I just start to lose everything. And that's the worst because then you start getting in your head and then, you know. That never, I mean, th- that really no, doesn't course. happen on our show. I mean, you did not do that on our show, really. There have been a few moments, but that's okay. Well, whatever, <laughs> well usually it's at like two in the morning. During a long scene, that's after true. After a long like day. an eight-hour break in yeah. between, <laughs> but you—I mean—you have a great ability to like um, not sort of judge yourself or censor yourself. Like you won't cut a take; you'll keep rolling through. No, it, not and during. And you take it back, and like you know how to make sure to lay all the parts down so we have it, which is very professional. I love you guys so much. You're what, so sweet. What? Did, well, we—you we, know—when you believe me, when you're us and you've written these parts, and then you have somebody who can come and actually do it, it it's. It's an incredible relief to sort of figure out, okay, I can I can write this stuff for her and she can get it across. And, right. and you know, as for, if you're us, you learn as you go the stuff that you'll kill. And then you right. try to set your actors up to kill those moments. I, I, as I was thinking about you putting this in on your own language, you know, you were born in, in Sweden, mm-hmm. right? And lived there for a few years and then came to Canada. Yeah. What do you think being an outsider does in terms of the way you can look at American characters? It's interesting. I think there's been a blessing and a curse in that. The blessing being that maybe there's some sort of intrigue and excitement because the way I approach characters is perhaps a little different than someone born into this culture would, which can also be the curse because I I sometimes don't understand perhaps the cadence or I don't understand um, a certain way of being. You know, it's a cultural thing that maybe I don't I, – I, it's not it's not ingrained in me. And by the way, in Canada, I went to French school. So it was like all Frenchies <laughs> right. raising me. So, you know, it's been a really big mix. But I've, I'm, I am happy about it. But I also do – I do feel like the kid on the outside sometimes where I just – I don't know certain terms or it just is like, but but that's okay. You know, it's okay. It, it's, it becomes challenging again, which leads to drive. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like, you know, the stupid kid in the, in the corner sometimes because I just, I'm not, I'm not with it. And then sometimes I just feel like the cool kid because people are like, whoa, you're from Sweden. What's, you know, it's, it's, yes. it's that mix constantly. But I wonder if also like the way Americans take certain things for granted that people from other places don't and just informs how you play these characters or if you notice that there's an otherness that the Ameri- that that Americans are just slightly different you know you're yeah, you're playing something that you're n- that I'm not on the out that yeah I mean and this is a real American ca- I mean she really is you know from inward from I mean the blue collar that whole that is it's really different than how I grew up it's, I mean, obviously, but I mean, just culturally is very, very different. There wasn't much the the Catholic guilt or the religion or the, right. you know, any of that. It's very liberal. It's very open. It's, you know, it's very logical, I guess. Sweden is very, a very logical place, I guess you could say. Right. So, like, our hang-ups sometimes seem ridiculous. Yes. They're crazy. Like the body stuff. Yeah, the body stuff is insane to me. I mean, it's... it's I, well, you have a great attitude, you know, you bring this lightness to doing like nudity or love scenes and stuff like that. That's very not American, you know. Americans are like often on set like, 
you know, need the robes thrown at them immediately and are freaking out. And it's like such a tense thing. But, um, you know, I would love to know how you uh, get into these love scenes and address it when you have a co-star that's less than likable to you. (laughs) Not on our show. That's when the acting comes in. Not on our (laughs) show. Definitely not on our show. You know, I think that, and by the way, I think it's unfortunate that America has such a hang up on on bodies and and bodies are sexualized here instead of natural. Like in, in Sweden, it's just not, you know... See, again, I, I hesitate saying this because anyone who's listening who is born and raised here would probably think that this is a weird thing. But, I mean, I, I still to this day see my parents naked. You know, it's not a big deal. It's just, they're, you know, and we did do saunas together, me and my grandfather and my father when I was a kid, you know, and we're naked. It's, But I think the beauty in that is that then it's a natural thing and it's not a sexual thing and there's no guilt or shame involved. And so you embrace it and you celebrate it and and so yeah I, I think getting on a, on a set I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of my body we all have bodies we all they all they look different but they're all the same and uh, I guess <laughs> getting into a love scene with someone you know I've never been on a set where there has there hasn't been the utmost respect and and just you know closed sets and everyone is turns their eyes as soon as we call cut and there's never been like a sleazy, slimy moment, but that because that would be really weird. I hope that never happens. But um, uh, you, you just got to act the shit out of those scenes. You just hypnotize yourself. You just <laughs> pretend like it's great. <laughs> when 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 you're now like um, a, a parent and you have, meet other parents of kids your son's age and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. how do you um, do you modulate who you are in that setting? Because and about all this stuff like how do yeah. you how do you want because obviously you don't want him to feel guilt and shame and all that no, stuff no never uh, do you want to raise him with the sense of but then the mores and the, the sort of values surrounding you must I just, how do you handle it? I think I pick and choose the people that I end up hanging out with. You know, you you meet moms and you do these play dates and your kids are playing, but the moms aren't necessarily the people that you want to be hanging out with because there's some crazy ones out there. But it definitely is. I'm aware. I, I, again, observe the person and see what type of person I'm dealing with and then modulate certain things that maybe we shouldn't talk about. That I, And sometimes I kind of like pushing buttons if it's somebody that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. <laughs> oh, if they're really tightly <laughs> yeah, wound or something. Then it's kind of fun to throw something in just to kind of loosen it up. But but you normally, you know, all my good friends, American and non-American, I have this really amazing group, mothers, non-mothers, you know, fathers and, and whatnot. We all sort of tick the same way. We all have a similar outlook on bodies and life. And it's, a, it's maybe a bit more of a modern view, for lack of a better word, but um, it's not so much in a box. It's not like the marriage and the kids and this is how you do it. And this and then it's very much like, let's roll with the punches and see how it goes. And, and I think that that becomes a nice place for a child to grow up in because there's never going to be a moment where I would shame my son for, you know, he's still, he's almost three and I have friends over and he runs around naked because we have a pool. I mean, he's naked all the time. <laughs> I remember one of my friends going, oh, wow, it's so weird to see him dressed. I always <laughs> see him naked. But, you know, I want him to feel free. I want him to feel, like, confident. And, and, and I mean, that's another point of contact with, with Lara Axelrod in a way, which is the sort of, like, determ- like, being determined not to give a shit. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, and, you had that without the billions. I mean, she has the insulation of billions of dollars. Right. Exactly. <laughs> to sort she doesn't of, really need to. 
give a shit. But uh, but the thing is, is I think that she does give a shit. You know, I think that she really does give a shit. She says she doesn't give a shit, and she definitely can go there. But I think ultimately, it's nice to fit in some in her own way. For me, she's someone who likes to stick out a little bit, but just enough that it's it's she's still in it and she's still part of something, you know, because she doesn't want to be the odd man out. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap this thing up here uh, because I guess the only other thing I'd want to say is or ask you is um, what do you hope to do when we're, in this time that we're not shooting? Like, do you have a hankering to go do comedy? Do you want to no. do drama? Do you want to take time off? Like what? When you heard we got picked up for a second season, I know you were thrilled. Yeah. When, we were all so excited. But did you say like, oh, I wish I could do X, Y, or Z? No, not really. I actually got out of, you know, this first season. And and again, like I said, I've been really inspired by all of you guys. I really have. And I said to myself, I'm going to spend this half a year studying and reading and getting familiar with all the American American cultural things that I'm not familiar with, that I didn't grow up with, or things that I just, you know, wasn't privy to. And I would like to not study my craft per se, but just exercise my brain and get to a place where I feel worthy of this job, if that makes any sense. Well, you're more than worthy. <laughs> not I'll even be worthy, but it's like, super you know. entertained if you're dropping Shakespeare quotes. <laughs> yeah, next that'll year, be the best thing be ever really, on set. We'll <laughs> trade them. Shit. We'll put them on the call sheet. <laughs> that That's great. is the best thing. <laughs> well, you you know, should that is, never feel unworthy. You're more no, than worthy. But that not, is the definition of being an artist, though. Honestly, you're, like, you're filling the well. I mean, that is yeah. amazing, Malin. You're getting all this praise for what you're doing. Even if you felt a certain way, you saw the way that Paul and Maggie and Damien regarded you and treated yeah. you on set and more than as an equal, I mean, yeah. fully a partner in this endeavor with all of us. And the fact that you're like, no, 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 I'm going to go get better and I'm going <laughs> to go become, I'm going to take this instrument and I'm going to add to it and I'm going to deepen it. That's fucking inspiring. I mean, Dave and I were planning to just go to the beach until we have to start again. <laughs> so now That's you really made too. me have I to. I might join you for a day or two. Cocktail right. or two. You can find, Malin's a good tweeter. She doesn't tweet all the time, but, and uh, people love the Instagram. They love yeah. following you on the Instagram. So oh, good. find Malin yeah, Ackerman on Insta and on The real Malin Twitter. Ackerman on Instagram. What are you on there? The real Malin the Ackerman. The real Malin Ackerman. Yeah. Uh, David Levine, you're on Twitter and you've started to tweet lately. Yeah, yeah I'm going tweet crazy. Man. <laughs> you're up to like what, twelve or fourteen yeah, tweets? Probably. Maybe what? even more. Get out. Maybe even more. Stop. Slow down. And he is at what is your Twitter name? At David Levine. L E V I E N. L E V I E N. I am at Brian Koppelman. Guys, we're really creative. I've tweeted many, many more times, <laughs> yeah. um, but that uh, says something uh, maybe bad about me, not uh, necessarily uh, good about you guys. Listen, thank you. Malin, thanks Thank for uh, thanks for all of it. Thanks for bringing so much heart and soul and love to this uh, character. Oh my God, thanks for having me. On Monday, March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Bates Motel reopens on A&E for its fourth season. A modern-day prequel to Alfred Hitchcock's iconic film Psycho, Bates Motel stars Freddie Highmore as Norman Bates and Vera Farmiga in the Emmy-nominated role of Norma. This season finds Norma and Norman suspicious of one another, and their trust issues will be worse than ever as their mother-son relationship continues to crumble. 
Watch Norman evolve into the infamous Norman Bates as the season finds him completely losing his grip on reality. Bates Motel knows how to deliver the crazy, and season four promises to get crazier than ever. Be sure to tune into Bates Motel Monday, March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern on A&E.